Hello, and welcome to the Artificial Podcast, with your host Nick Myers. Artificial Intelligence. Voice Recognition. Machine Learning. Robotic. Actionable Analytics. It is Nick's goal to help everyone understand how AI and voice technology are reshaping our lives both personally and within organizations. Your glimpse into the growing world of AI and voice first starts now. Nick Myers. Nick Myers. Nick Myers. Nick Myers. Welcome to the Artificial Podcast. My name is Nick Myers, and I am here to help break down topics in emerging technology, artificial intelligence, and voice to help everyone understand how these technologies are impacting our lives both personally and within our organizations. The Artificial Podcast is brought to you by Red Fox AI. Red Fox AI helps give brands a voice by leveraging the power of AI and voice assistant technologies like Alexa and Google Assistant. If you or your organization is interested in sponsoring an episode, please send an email to the artificial podcast at redfox-ai.com. If you like what you hear, please feel free to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere that you listen to podcasts. You can also follow the artificial podcast on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube by searching for the artificial podcast. Thank you for listening, and now on to this week's episode. Hey there, Artificial Podcasters. Welcome back to another week and another episode of the Artificial Podcast. My name is Nick Myers, and this week I am excited to welcome Carrie Hoffman to the Artificial Podcast. I have had the pleasure of getting to know Carrie over the past couple of years through some local organizations here in Madison, the Milwaukee area. And let me tell you, Carrie is just one of one of the most incredible and passionate people that I've had the pleasure of getting to know, uh, specifically when it comes to technology and emerging technology and the breadth of experience that she's gotten in, in so many different companies and some of the things she's worked on. So I'm very excited to be able to welcome her to the Artificial Podcast this week. But before Carrie and I start chatting, let me tell you a bit about Carrie Hoffman. Carrie is passionate about business transformation and getting as many companies as possible on their journey to the next age trademark. <laughs> Carrie is a number one best-selling business author and is the CEO of Hoffman Digital, an ecosystem of companies igniting the human experience at work. This includes strategic advisor at several modern technology companies, co-founder and partner at Get Digital Velocity, and digital advisor and certified business coach at Focal Point Business Coaching. In addition, she is a keynote speaker at industry venues and chairwoman of the board for Hashed In Malaysia. Carrie, welcome to the Artificial Podcast. How are you? I'm great. Thank you for having me, Nick. Yes, I'm, I'm so grateful for for the opportunity to get to have a chat with you here. And I <laughs> I know you and I were talking at the last Wisconsin Business Owners Meetup in Milwaukee. You've, you've coined the term the next stage, and I love that you got that trademark. <laughs> I did get the trademark. <laughs> which, which is why it, for, for the listeners, as I was reading the bio, I said the next stage. Carrie actually did get the next stage trademark, and I love I, I just love that. So I, I had to throw the the trademark in there. <laughs> Thanks, Nick. <laughs> but yeah, I'm, I'm really excited to, to have a chat with you here so you can share some of the different experiences you've had just in the technology industry with the listeners of the podcast because you've just done so much and have been involved in so many different things. So I think it's only appropriate at this point then to kick things off by asking 
you know, what led you to get started working in IT and technology, specifically technologies like AI, it seems now, that ultimately led you to roles in companies like Aurora Healthcare, Johnson & Johnson, Johnson Controls, and now your own company, Hoffman Digital. Yeah, so, you know, I really got into technology in the mid-1980s, so I'm dating myself. <laughs> <laughs> it was my first career stint as a medical technologist at West Dallas Memorial Hospital, which ended up becoming part of the Aurora Healthcare System. Gotcha. <laughs> the hospital had a homegrown hospital information and lab information system that was built in the late 70s on CICS COBOL. See, I told you I was going to date myself. <laughs> I was, I was going to say, yeah, that's, that's old. <laughs> <laughs> Very old. And I lived through the green screen and the orange screen. <laughs> oh, my gosh. But I quickly became this mega power user of technology. I was fascinated with simplifying process and then automating it with computers. And um, one of my aha moments was around this very manual test that we did in the lab, which took hours to perform. And then it required two hours to do a manual chi-square calculation and another 15 minutes for a second technologist to manually verify that calculation. <laughs> <laughs> now, those who know me know I don't really like details. So sitting down and doing a chi-square calculation for two hours, I did it once and I said, never again. <laughs> yeah. Well, and so... Um, I won't go through all the details of how I found this, but there was a VisiCalc advanced version manual sitting next to a computer and it had a chapter on macros. And I actually read the chapter and I was like, oh my gosh, I think I could program this chi-square calculation in macros in VisiCalc. And so I did that and I had folks from IT check it for me, med techs check it for me, and it ended up taking this two hour and 15 minute manual calculation to 10 minutes for the person My entering gosh. the information. Oh yeah. And five minutes for the second technologist to check it. So from two hours and 15 minutes to 15 minutes and I was hooked. And they probably thought you were the second coming. <laughs> oh, exactly. Right. Oh, and you know, that helps too, because it really gives you this feeling that you're contributing. Right. And I was, and I was new, I was a new technologist. So for me to be able to contribute was amazing. So I went on to do like value stream mapping, optimizing computer screens for data entry. I did advanced troubleshooting of lab analyzers, including the computer operating systems. And I even was one of the first people to put barcodes on patient armbands. Wow. And that was important to positively identify a match between the patient and the lab samples. Which is like, I mean, and, and around what, what time period was that that you were doing that on the barcode? That one was stamps? probably in the early 90s. So that was like really early in, in terms of, because I, I thought the whole reason they did that was for for privacy and to match the patient with the patient's data, of course, to make sure that it is that person. So was that part of it or was it just more on the data matching side of it? Was privacy at that point taken into think, account when you guys are doing that? Or I don't think, pri I mean, we, we did privacy kind of manually, right? Gotcha. We, we weren't allowed to talk about patients or patient cases, but there wasn't a lot about privacy in computers. Now, we, we had a very progressive thinking hospital yeah. and hospital lab, right? So we already were using barcodes on 
the, um, we call them draw slips. So when you would go and draw someone's blood, you would have um, a piece that was all in English with the patient yeah. and what tests were being drawn, right? But there were barcodes to identify the test because some of our lab analyzers automatically read the barcode gotcha. and processed the test. But I was like, well, one of the biggest issues with it, a hospital and not privacy, but safety is making sure you're not mixing up one patient's samples with another. Oh, yeah. Right. Yes. And so when you went, <laughs> yeah, exactly. So when you went to draw blood, you had to identify the patient and make sure it was the right patient. But yeah. with the arm barcode on the armband, you still did that personally, identified the patient, but then you'd scan the armband and you'd scan the draw slip and it would either match or it wouldn't. And of course that's standard practice today. Yes, it is. Wow. That's really cool. <laughs> so fun stuff. I would, so I was just completely hooked. I was like, oh my gosh, this automation stuff is awesome. Wow. And then, of course, I'm assuming after your, your stint working for Aurora Healthcare, that then led you to the roles of Johnson & Johnson and some of these other companies where you you pretty much did some some pretty big things in IT for those companies too, didn't you? Yeah, I really did. I moved to Johnson & Johnson after 10 years in the hospital. And I moved into technical sales first in a business unit that actually sold lab analyzers. So I was a customer of a very complex product, a lab analyzer, and then I went into technical sales for that product. And then I moved into IT in the same division, initially supporting sales. So I had yeah. a very different view of what an IT person should know and do in a technology role. Yeah, that's that's super interesting. So Given the wide variety of companies that you've worked for up to this point, what has been your favorite engagement to date, you would have to say, as well as maybe a project that you were a part of that really stands out to you? I probably, like, oh, it's hard to pick one. Can I pick one for Johnson & Johnson and one for Johnson Controls? Sure. <laughs> Will that work? Run with okay, it. So, <laughs> so for in Johnson & Johnson, I... um. I spent three years living in Singapore and I was the business unit CIO for the consumer division of all of Asia Pacific. Wow. So yeah, it was, it was an awesome way to learn Asia. I had teams in 14 countries oh and most countries had been doing business as Johnson and Johnson for over 50 years. So they were all very local. I had this awesome IT team in India which originally was 15 employees, but I came to know as I visited them often, and their previous CIOs had never visited them, that they actually were a team of 45. They had 30 contractors that weren't really on the books. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> yeah, it was very funny. And so they had um, an idea to do this distributor ERP system. Um, the distributors in India for consumer products are often dedicated to a company. So we mm -hmm. had 90 dedicated distributors. And just to give people a sense, a distributor there, their um, warehouse is like the size of a one-car garage here, and their office is like our walk-in closet. Wow. And their um, distributors are all on two-wheeled motorbikes with bins on the back. And they go to stores that look like a little sliver of a closet. That's, that's kind of what it looks like. So they created using just .NET and computers that were refurbished. So they took all these old computers and they fixed them up and they'd give them to the distributors. And they put together a distributor ERP program. So the distributors went from a whiteboard and clipboards to 
actually having a system to run everything they needed to do and it connected to phones. And this is before smartphones. In Asia, I called them semi-smartphones because, <laughs> <laughs> because this is 2008, 9, and 10. The yeah. iPhone didn't even come out internationally till late 2008. And, um, and they just use their phones for so much more. There were countries who were already doing banking, including oh India gosh. and Malaysia in 2008. I've heard phone. that, that other countries were much farther ahead in the U.S. in terms of using you know, quote unquote, smartphone applications at that point in time and different things than, than we were. Yeah. So we ended up going from 90 distributors to 400 distributors in four months, and we increased wow. the market depth and share, and we were contributing to the revenue. So this got me really jazzed. So we also did a, since we were talking about the phones, we did a one-to-one uh, where you did a business-to-consumer one-to-one marketing on mobile phones in Malaysia in 2010. Wow. And we increased sales. <laughs> so that it was awesome. See, so this is why I was always hooked, right? Yeah. And my favorite project within Johnson, so I was with Johnson & Johnson for 16 years. Then I moved to Johnson Controls for six years. I held two different business unit CIO roles. And my probably second all-time or tied for first all-time favorite project was we completely transformed the way that we delivered technology um, in the buildings business unit of Johnson Controls. So um, that business unit was about 15 billion in revenue per year. It had grown. Yeah, it had grown over um, decades through acquisitions that were never integrated. So we had. 33 different brands of ERP and hundreds of instances. And I started there in January of 14. A new president of the business unit came in from another part of Johnson Controls in September of 2014 and asked me, uh, what do I know about the customer experience? And I said, well, the and I knew him from a, a previous project. And I said, well, the customer experience basically is super bad. He's like, why is that? And I said, well, because all of our customers are usually building buildings mm -hmm. and they are ordering from us from multiple product lines and they end up having to put in multiple orders. They get multiple invoices and they can't figure out where the product's at, which is a problem when you're building a building. Yeah. He's like, wow, you're the first person to like articulate that. Well, I need that fixed in a year. <laughs> <laughs> and Carrie's like, yep, all right, I'll do it. Done. <laughs> no, no, I made the mistake of like thinking out loud. So I said, well, that's not possible. And he was, he was a, a old Booz Allen guy. He, he grew up in the consulting area and then came into corporate. And he, he said, then you're not the right person for the job. And I was oh, thinking, oh, well, thank God I knew you before. <laughs> I said, oh, did I say that out loud? <laughs> I was just thinking out loud. I said, what I meant to say, and you were a Booz Allen guy, so you know this, the way to fix that in the industry today is to replace your ER, multiple ERP systems with one ERP. And as you know, it's not possible to do that within a year, especially when you have 33 brands and hundreds of instances. He's like, oh, we do? I said, yeah, we do. I said, so I guess I'll have to find a different wait, do you mind if I take two weeks to figure it out and I'll come back to you? He said, sure. I said, okay. And then I walked out the door and went, oh shit, what did I just do? <laughs> <laughs> but I, I didn't say that completely blind. Um, 
we had had uh, some experience with big data in Hadoop yeah. in our product area. And um, I was working with our engineering teams to see if IT could support that um, big data uh, network for them and also looking at how could we use it and we were having issues with reporting obviously with all the different ERPs and so we were already looking at how could we use how could we put a data layer over all the ERPs for reporting yeah so I just went back to my team and said hey if we can do it for reporting we should be able to do it for transactions <laughs> let's figure out how to put a data layer over the mess and then create a cloud-based single order single invoice and we did it Wow. We did it in 18 months because we weren't funded for the first six, um, but we did it. And that is my other favorite project because we did something that hadn't been done before in the industry. And it was a complete transformation. Like we flipped all product projects from Waterfall to Agile. We really started getting focused on more customer facing things and in, again, impacting revenue. Um, and so there's that theme kind of in my corporate career of transformations that involve people and technology. I was going to say, there seems to be a pattern here from some of the different products that you've kind of dove into here. Yeah, exactly. So I'm really, so I'm really passionate and I, and I left, um, I left Johnson Controls just because I had an opportunity to leave with the merger with Tyco. And it was time for me to say, you know what, I think I'd like to do this for more than one company at a time. Yeah. How can we move people from a traditional way of doing business to a digital way of doing business? And it's important because we've actually exited the industrial age and we've entered the next age. <laughs> which we, which I am so excited to talk to you about, which we'll get into the, the whole new age trademark thing that we've been talking about. So I'm, <laughs> I love it. <laughs> you know, I, you know, so I have to give the back, backstory now because you, you said, yeah, I trademarked yeah. it. I, yeah. you know, the backstory on this is I, I would be talking to people how we've exited the industrial age and entered the digital age or entered the information age or entered the cognitive age. Yeah. And people would argue with me about what I was calling it. So I was like, you know, forget it. I'm not going to give it a name because all we end up doing is talking about the name instead of the meat of what we should exactly, be talking about. Exactly, the purpose of it. Right. So instead, I just, I went, what can I generically call it? Oh, the next stage. And then, um, and then I was writing a book, right? I was writing a chapter in a book, um, Brilliant Breakthroughs for the Small Business Owner. And the person who compiles that book said, you should trademark that. And I'm like, huh. Never thought of that. I thought it was too generic. I'll go see if I can trademark it. And I was able to. So that's, that's how that awesome. happened. <laughs> yeah. And I, I, I do have a question here to kind of ask you about the meaning behind that and, and yeah. a little bit more because I really want to talk to you about that. But now that you've kind of dove into some of the different projects that you've been able to work on, which like you said, you seem to have a trend of really focusing on the human elements of this in conjunction with just the hardcore IT aspect of it, which it's, it's super fascinating. I, I feel like a lot of people that I've interviewed on the show, the ones who have, have done really incredible work are the ones that always view it from the human outcome standpoint. Mm -hmm. So I really yeah. like that. That seems to be the trend with you as well, because I, I think the the impact of what you do lasts so much longer when you look at it through that lens. But, you know, for anyone seeking to enter the technology space professionally in 2020 and beyond, what are some tips and pieces of advice that you can offer based on everything that you've been through over the last couple of decades? Yeah, that's a great question. So I think anyone entering the technology field, 
um, needs to think about what what is the what is the big why behind whatever they end up working on. And in this next age, like the way that we conduct business is completely different than the industrial age. So I call business in the industrial age traditional business, and I mm -hmm. call business in the next age digital business, just to give it a name and make it easy to talk about, okay? So in a digital business, one of the biggest changes is that you have to practice extreme customer centricity. This means that everyone in your company, no matter how big it is, understands the customer at a very deep level. Mm -hmm. Everyone has contact with the customer, which is not typical in a big company, and they understand the issues the customer is having. Not just the issues related to your products and services, but the issues related to whatever issues the customer is having. So it's a different way of looking at it. Yeah. Now, in the, all those business unit CIO roles that I had in Johnson & Johnson and Johnson Controls, I required every one of my technology team, not just those that reported to me, all the way to the front line, had to go on at least two customer visits a year. And a customer visit, like when you're in the consumer business, you can say, oh, I went to the big box store like Walmart. <laughs> so I did my customer visit. No, 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 no. A customer visit had to be with sales and marketing. That's so a that great they, idea. Yeah, so that they understood the customer at a very right. deep level. Now, why did I do this? Well, remember my story. I started as a customer of a very complex product. Then I sold the product. Then I went in IT supporting the company yeah. that sold the product, right? And so... The, the reason that I was successful in kind of transforming IT from back office to having an impact on revenue and market share was because I had that deep understanding of the customer. And it, with every business unit I moved into within Johnson & Johnson, as soon as I moved to a different business unit, it wasn't about lab instrumentation anymore. It wasn't mm -hmm. about the 10 years that I grew up with, right, in the beginning of my career. So I actually went on customer visits, visited manufacturing plants and distributor, distribution centers to understand the business. So every technologist has to understand the business to a deep level. And in this next age, you have to understand that only the way the business operates, you have to understand the customer to a very intimate level. I think that that is such good advice, Carrie. And I mean, even look around now, some of the most successful companies and some of the best companies that have just skyrocketed in terms of growth are ones that are always focused on the customer. I mean, the, the example I can think of right off the top of my head is Amazon. I mean, what is the number right. one thing that they are very transparent about? They are the most, they are building the most customer centric company on the planet. And truthfully, yes. they have. <laughs> they have. And they started, right? They started selling books online. Right. And now they sell like everything and they're in everything. all kinds of different services. But right? it's because it, they, they really do pinpoint the customer needs, get that feedback and adjust everything about the technology to fit that. I mean, you look at Apple, Apple's kind of done the same thing over the years as well with the hardware. It wasn't, I actually had the opportunity to interview somebody who worked with Steve Jobs directly a couple of weeks ago. And he oh, said, awesome. yeah, Steve's mindset was you're building the technology for the human outcome to meet the problem of the person. And Absolutely. It's, it's that centricity that focuses on the people and the customer 
that either I think, especially in technology makes or breaks you. So the fact that, you know, you've kind of always had that mindset, even, even before it seemed to go a bit more mainstream here is, is commendable. And I'm sure that's why you've been able to work for so many incredible companies and, and do this because the core of all of this is, is truthfully the customer. And that's something even I sometimes struggle to keep in mind as we're building out voice applications for people. I think, you know, for me, it gets so caught up in just the technology and the problem you're solving, but you're not. (laughs) Sometimes I I neglect to put myself in the standpoint of somebody who'd actually be using that, which then limits my scope. So I think that is insanely good advice. I'm so happy you shared that. Well, and understanding the customer's issues helps you understand what the customer really needs not what they say they want, right? Mm -hmm. So if Steve Jobs created what people were asking for, we would have never had the iPhone, right? Nobody said, I want, I want, I want a phone with all this stuff on it and a camera. And, you know, the interesting thing with both Amazon and Apple is how much artificial intelligence and machine learning they use in their business models, right? Oh yeah, and I I do have I have a question in there about that as well. See, you're you're already like in my head with things I want to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> but this is this is why I wanted to chat with you because we're just we're like on the same wavelength all the time whenever we talk. So I know we've kind of been mentioning, of course, the the term you've now trademarked and coined here, the next stage, the new age. So why don't you take a moment then to explain what is the next stage trademark, and how does emerging technology play a role in that? Yeah, so I, I love talking about how emerging uh, technology plays a role because it, it's a little bit different than what I think people expect me to say. So every time we move from one age to the next age, there's a trigger. And so when we move from, for instance, the agricultural age right, to the industrial age, the trigger was this automation with machines. That was the trigger. And what happens, the reason you know you've moved to a next age is because the way work is conducted Mm -hmm. changes completely, okay? That's how you know it's actually the next age. So the industrial age, we know we have industry 1.0, industry 2.0, and then we talk about 3.0 and 4.0, and I'm like, wait a minute, we can stop saying 4.0, 5.0 because the way work is conducted has completely changed. The trigger was when new technology started coming out at an exponential rate. Now, what a lot of people don't realize is that started happening around the turn of the century, around 2000. Mm-hmm. Now, it was only, there were only early adopters taking advantage of it. It really hit mainstream in 2007. Um, and there's an author, Thomas Friedman, who wrote the book, The World is Flat. A lot of people are familiar with that book. Because, and it was written, that one was written decades ago. Well, he wrote another book called Thank You for Being Late. And in that book, he actually has a chapter that's titled, this is the title of the chapter, What the Hell Happened in 2007? <laughs> <laughs> okay, now I got to check a, out this book. You do, especially that chapter, because it's amazing what happened in 2007. A lot of people know, okay, the iPhone came out in 2007, but the beginning of the work on Watson, IBM Watson started in 2007, GitHub started in 2007, LinkedIn and Facebook started to become mainstream in 2007. So what you're saying is the the click over to mainstream is specifically then more than likely happened in 2007. Yes. And the, and the, and the actual adoption of technology to create stuff, right? To do mm-hmm. business differently. That happened in 2007. 
So I think, I think it's kind of fascinating. Now, how has work changed? Well, I talked about this need for extreme customer centricity. The only way to really get that is to start working in small cross-functional teams. And that goes for even if you have a giant company. And if you think about, if you know about the waterfall project process versus the agile project process, then you would understand this need to work in small mm -hmm. cross-functional teams. But this needs to happen even in a large company. And then those cross-functional teams are focused on a micro-segment of the customer. So big companies have always done customer segmentation, but you have to do right. micro-customer segmentation if you're working in teams of like 12 people focused right. on the customer. Well, and right. especially now with how granular you can get into some of the data that you can obtain from your customers right. as well. Exactly. And obtaining that data is super important. And this is where things like artificial intelligence come to play. Now, the thing about these cross-functional teams is it's not just employees and um, contractors necessarily. There's a lot of work, routine work that still needs to be done that prohibits these cross-functional teams from being intimate with the customer if they're still doing this routine stuff, right? Mm -hmm. So you start using alternate forms of talent. You start using things like crowdsourcing, freelancers, the gig society, where you're chunking up a project and just handing it over to someone. Oh, and, we, and you can definitely see the gig economy having exploded over the last decade for sure. <laughs> exactly. And I think there's a difference in gig versus freelancer. Um, but I don't know if we have time to go into that today. The other thing- <laughs> I agree with the you, other, yes. <laughs> the other thing about, um, about talent is that you have to augment your talent and your talent needs to be augmented with AI. And I feel very strongly about this because you need to automate parts that things that your employees are doing that aren't really that important to the customer, right. but of course are important to work getting done. Well, and so bringing AI into the workplace is mm -hmm. important. Yes, and this this actually is a really good transition into something else I wanted to talk to you about. I actually just read, it, it's so fitting sometimes how things come across your computer screen. I was just reading a Forbes article this morning with the headline saying, 34% of employees expect their jobs to be automated within the next three years. So kind of based on what we've just been talking about and with that in mind, what advice can you give to employees in all roles currently working in an organization who are seeking to start adapting to what the next stage has in store? Yeah, so I think if you think about, if you think about working in a traditional business, and you think about having to get super close to the customer, right? And going on customer visits and being on a cross-functional team, servicing a customer, you can't do the old work that you used to do. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we, we talk about 30% of jobs will be automated. I don't know, is that really that bad? Because we need people right. to shift, right? Yep. We need people to shift to being highly focused on the customer and still have their functional expertise and so this is where I like to think about it as augmenting talent with automation as opposed to replacing talent with automation because your talent the talent that you have even if you have someone who's been doing finance for decades they sure that you can automate a hundred percent of what they do or what they used mm -hmm. to do but their expertise in finance is needed when you work with the right. customer right 
that that expertise is needed because now you're going to look at see the thing the other thing about the way business changes is the reason you're getting so close to the customer is so that you can listen to their needs and you can adapt your products and services to whatever their issues are that they have even if it's not related to your current products and services and so you're going to be we're going to be creating products and services at a much more rapid pace mm-hmm. our business models themselves are going to change and if you think about that finance person how are you going to price that product how are you going to figure out what the value of that product is in the marketplace you need the finance yeah. expertise well and i i agree with that i think the challenge for a lot of companies is going to be is they're going to look at that from more of a a black and white standpoint where it's oh well if we can just automate the whole thing automate it but i see where you're coming from which of course to me makes a lot more sense where yeah you can automate the person's job but just because you can automate it you need their expertise for other areas. Why not apply that to something that's more customer centric that can then be used in conjunction with the automation to create maybe a new product or service to help your customer. Exactly. So I, I think it. this is going to be a very, uh, a very difficult shift for a lot of companies, but you know, one, one thing I'll say as well, and this is something I've been talking with a lot of people at the date of us recording this episode, right? We're in the midst of this global pandemic. Well, I think, you know, technology has been an exponential growth rate for, you know, two decades now. And now specifically, we're going to look at 2007 based on, on what you said earlier. And I think, you know, there needs to be a behavior shift with, with everything. And I think even though technology has been growing, a lot of organizations and companies have been hard-pressed hard who aren't tech companies to embrace that behavior shift. But now yes. in the midst of this pandemic, they're all learning for the first time that they can still be functional. They can still run their entire operation distributed with the technologies we have at play today and maybe even be a bit more effective in doing that. And I think this is just the first step. I don't know what your thoughts are on that. Oh my gosh, I completely agree with you. Like I was getting so frustrated with... with um just so many traditional companies, especially in the Western part of the world, just really dragging their feet to move to digital. And this whole pandemic that we're living in has caused every business to at least move to digitally working virtually Mm -hmm. and having to use technology. And we're already, even after just a few weeks in the US and longer amounts of times in other parts of the world, we're already seeing all this chatter around, wow, people are actually more productive. <laughs> Go figure. <laughs> I know. And one of the biggest <laughs> barriers to this previously was managers thinking, yes. I can't let my people work at home because I Control. won't know what they're working on. Yeah. 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 But they're yeah, I, actually more productive. So I think post-pandemic is going to be very interesting for the nature of work. And I think, you know, everything you've been talking about here with this greater focus on, on automation while maintaining the expertise that people have and funneling that into customer centricity, I think this is the catalyst to that. And I really hope as we move through the 2020s, and, the, and I'll say post-pandemic era, that mm-hmm. that really starts to happen. And I think it will. I just Yeah, we've I, all gotten a booster shot yes. of digital. Yes, I, I just really we, hope they don't look at this from, from the black and white standpoint where it's automate right, all of I it. Know. Yeah, or, you know, I, I, don't, I, don't think, I don't think a lot of places will. I, I think it's going to be maybe organizations that really have been rooted in their ways for so many different years. But I think beyond that, I think a lot of people are realizing now, wow, you really can embrace even simple forms of, of digital technology and it makes your life 10 times better. Yeah. And one of the interesting things that we're seeing is we're seeing a lot of role models pop up, right? Mm -hmm. Companies who are 
shifting to doing, you know, something they've never done before. You're seeing companies with manufacturing saying they're shifting to figure out how to make ventilators. Right. And they're not even in the, that wasn't anything near their business no. products or services. I think, they're what is changing. it, GM? GM are yeah. ventilators now. I can't remember right. which one. Yeah, they're working on figuring it out. And um, and so you're, this is what I'm talking about. That's a digital business, right? Mm-hmm. Everyone's getting this booster shot because they're actually thinking about how can I change the business model to meet the human need that's out there right now. And when we talk about extreme customer centricity, we're getting down to that human level. God, I love it. God, Carrie, you're awesome. <laughs> I knew, I knew, well, I knew we'd get on like a a really in-depth, good discussion and I'm really happy it went down this path because I still think this is something a lot of people haven't been talking about and it needs to be on the radar of so many different organizations because I'll be honest, I kind of have a a bit of a niche in some of the talks I give about AI and the future of work. And this is something that I've thought a bit about, but I've actually been too afraid to integrate into my talks because I'll, I'll get like, ah, nah, you know, I'll get all the hand waves and the eye rolls and different things. But I think, like you said, this is the booster shot. And that I think is actively changing. Yeah. So, and now we can point to all kinds of examples so we can go out there full blast with the message. Right. Because we need to. The Western part of the world is way behind it is. Asia. In many oh God, ways. After, after going to Thailand, even alone, I, I think at the last business owners meetup, I told you I had gone to Thailand to give that talk. I couldn't believe just how much more advanced even in Thailand things were than here. Oh, and yeah. I even look back at when I went to Australia back in August and they had a complete tap on tap off payment system. Nobody was using credit cards. They looked at us weird when we handed them a credit card. I'm like, yep. oh my gosh, you don't realize <laughs> how behind we kind of are in the US and, and the Western world sometimes. We're super behind and how we come out of this current crisis is going to show that even more. Yes, absolutely. So when we look at, and I really want to talk about AI real quick here, what fascinates you the most about AI? I know that's something you and I have talked a lot about. And what industry or industries do you think AI as a technology is going to impact more than any, over, more than any other over the next decade? Oh my gosh, that's, I mean, AI can impact every industry. I know, loaded question. (laughs) But I guess, you know, one thing that probably comes to mind to me, and it it probably would have even before the current crisis that we're in, is the industries where it takes so long to create a product and how AI can speed that up like by 10 and 100 fold. And a good example is the pharmaceutical industry. So, you know, it, it, it used to be, and probably still is for some pharmaceutical companies, it can take over 10 years to develop um, a drug. And now we're applying artificial intelligence, and we're applying that right now to come up with a vaccine. We're applying artificial intelligence to find the molecules that are going to work in pharmaceuticals. And we're, we're slashing five times, 10 times off of the amount of time it takes to create a pharmaceutical. Which is so, incredible. Yeah. So anywhere, anywhere where you're developing a product that takes a long time, that's one of the big impacts of AI is being able to do it in a lot less time. And I think the, um, I think the second area that really impacts AI still in, in kind of a product space, but a physical product space is the ability to customize. So when you have a manufacturing line that um, is completely um, IOT, 
So you've put IoT on that line, Internet of Things on that line, and you've gotten rid of all the old kind of architectures and technologies. Even MES gets replaced by IoT. Now you're, now you're not talking about um, having to make the same product for days on end in order to be efficient and effective. Now, because of IoT, you can customize the product as it's going mm -hmm. down the line. Yes. And I think that's going to have a huge impact. And when you combine that with things like 3D printing. Oh my um, gosh. Yeah. Then, <laughs> that is then, something that hasn't even been tapped yet either, by the way. Yeah. You know, I read this book. Um, God, it's an old one. It's called Physics of the Future. And I'm not going to come up with the author off the top of my head. Um, but it is a, a researcher who talked to 300 scientists and ended up coming up with a story of what life was going to be like a hundred years down the road, which like, you know, was like now, I think 70 years from now. And it was so cool because you no longer, um, you no longer needed to like go to a store to pick up a physical product. You just ordered it and then your 3d printer at home would, would <laughs> print it out. That's and if you want it, happen. I know, actually happen I know exactly. Isn't that cool? And if you wanted to remodel your kitchen, you just picked all the designs and then you left for two hours and it all got created on the fly for you. Oh my gosh. <laughs> So it's a really See, fun book. <laughs> that's some Jetsons level stuff. What is that called? Physics of the future? Physics of the future. You heard it, folks. Get Pick that up on Amazon or your local bookstore. <laughs> it's old, but it's good. <laughs> wow. Fun stuff. Yeah, absolutely. And so I think then, you know, as we, as we kind of wrap things up here, there's two more quick questions I do want to ask. And the first one here is what is, you know, we talk about all the positives and, and the optimism, of course, that surrounds these technologies. And I would definitely throw you and I in that optimist category. But what is the biggest <laughs> yeah. concern that you have when it comes to emerging technologies like AI? And do you think whatever that concern may be can be overcome in the next stage? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, there's definitely a lot of concerns with AI. Um, there's concerns with the bias in the data and the data models and the algorithms. And that can accentuate biases, um, whether it's, you know, gender, race kind of discrimination, age discrimination, or just like actually narrowing your view of the world, right? Because AI looks at everything I'm looking at and then it tries to feed me more of everything mm -hmm. I'm looking at. Right. <laughs> it's like, wait a minute, you know, how do I find out about something different then? Right. So though, I think those are some of the negatives. Do I, um, and of course we're going to, from a privacy and a cybersecurity and, and that whole perspective, we have to use artificial intelligence to be able to stay on top of, cybercrime and espionage yes. and things like that, because that's what they're using, right? Right. So we have to stay ahead of it. I think we can, though. Um, you know, there's, there's great think tanks and organizations out there that are working on it. Um, singularityuniversity.org is a very interesting organization. It's not actually I'll a college. Out too. Yeah, it's not actually a college-level university. Um, oh, I probably pronounced his name wrong, but the futurist Ray Kurzweil. Kurzweil, yep. Kurzweil, he actually is the founder of Singularity University. Um, and they are, they, their whole purpose is looking at exponential technologies and how we can use them to solve the world's biggest issues. That's awesome. So, you know, so, I, have to, another, I've, I have literally a running list right now of the books and the different things that you've mentioned <laughs> that I have to go and check out. <laughs> <laughs> 
No, I agree with you. I think those are definitely things to be concerned about because they can really go in one direction or the other, depending on what happens over the next couple of years here. And I mean, with any new technology, with anything new, really, you're always going to have a nefarious player at some point. I mean, we learned that the hard way, of course, with social media back in 2016, and a lot of that is still happening now, but we're cognizant of it. And I think the same thing is going to happen when we look at a technology like AI and, and voice and some of these other pieces of emerging tech and even IoT to some extent, you know, we're, we're going to be more cognizant of some of the, the nefarious and negative parts of that. And, and hopefully we can mitigate that before nefarious actors come in and, and use them for nefarious purposes. So, well, Carrie, the last question that I have here is something I ask every guest that I bring on the show because I, I just love getting different answers and it's, it's very helpful to listeners as well. What is one thing that you think someone can do today to begin leveraging emerging technology or artificial intelligence, whatever it may be, either personally or within their organization? One thing they can do. Oh, boy. That's a great question. I like that. Um, I think it's important to um, always have a mindset of continuous learning. Continuous learning is necessary because we've got stuff coming at us at a really high rate. So it's important to continuously learn about what are the technologies that are out there and to also learn about how to utilize them without saying, I have to implement AI, right? So there's a lot of companies creating platforms that have AI built into them. Some that we all use every day and may not even know about Mm -hmm. it, right? Amazon.com, transportation, um, applications like Waze, they're all using artificial intelligence. Even in social them. media. Yeah, exactly. And so as you're looking to implement technology, really dig a little bit under the covers and understand what is being provided by that technology company. And are they, number one, using some of these technologies that we've been talking about? And number two, Do they have a process in which they are continually upgrading the architecture of their platform? And so just some continuous learning, reading things, um, getting some sources like Singularity University is great because it's not for techies. Singularity University is for every business person Mm -hmm. to understand about technology. There's all kinds of different um, sources and sites out there where you can continuously learn about the technology and uh, not avoid it, learn about it and use it. I think that is excellent advice. And that is also something that I echo a lot as well is continuous learning because this stuff is moving so quickly. And especially Mm -hmm. if if you're one of those people right now who are like, oh, automation is going to totally do away with my job. Well, beat that, beat that fear and learn and be knowledgeable about it and strategically think about how you can still maintain your value in the next stage and in this world where automation is going to become more prevalent. So Carrie, I I agree with you completely continuous learning and, you know, being as informed as you can be, you know, you don't necessarily have to dive into the nitty gritty tech stuff, but just understanding what the technology is and why it matters, I think is, is crucial at this point. So I think that's excellent advice. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Carrie, this has been, my gosh, you've dropped so many knowledge bombs just on me and, and the listeners in this episode, I, I can't be more grateful. Like I'm, I'm, I'm so happy I got to interview you because I knew we'd have such an amazing discussion on so, so many different topics. So thank you so much for, for taking the time 
to uh, share all your knowledge and your expertise. And I, I can't wait to, to keep in touch and see all the great things that you keep on doing. Well, thanks for having me, Nick. You do a great job of hosting. So I greatly appreciate that. Well, thank you so much. I, I appreciate that. And if anybody wanted to get in touch with you, what are some of the best ways for them to go about doing so? Yeah, a couple of ways. Um, you could go to carriehoffman.com and you can get in contact with me there. And you'll find links to LinkedIn and other things. Um, there's also a, an app called Brilliant Biz Book that is based on um, the book I wrote a chapter in. And you can actually get in contact with me there and any of the authors of the chapters of three different versions of that book. Fantastic. Yeah, I, I, I happen to know uh, some of the people that Carrie collaborated with on that book as well. And I would highly recommend checking it out, especially if you're a small business owner and are looking to really get into some different ways that you can be agile and grow your knowledge with all these different things coming our way down the pipeline here as it affects us as, as business owners and different things. So, well, Carrie, thank you so much again. And I really appreciate you taking the time and I'm really excited to keep in touch. Thanks, Nick. Likewise. Artificial intelligence, voice recognition, machine learning. Robotics. You've been listening to the Artificial Podcast with your host, Nick Myers. Nick Myers. To stay up to date with all our latest episodes, you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and Google Podcasts. To learn more about how your organization can benefit by unlocking the power of AI and voice, visit www.redfox-ai.com. Until next time.